Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of bodies do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other kind of grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earth is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body. There is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written. The first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is fast, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust, and so is the man of heaven. So also are those who are from heaven. Just as we are born the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I will tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must be put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must mortal put on immortality, then shall come to pass a saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, 
always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Thank you, Joe. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for scripture. Thank you for truth. Thank you for helping us to understand your words. Thank you for the life that your word brings to us. Thank you for the gospel of the kingdom of God, the good news of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. Thank you that it's not over. This is not it. This is not the end. Thank you that we can look forward into a great, bright future. And Lord, even as we look at your word now, help us, Lord, to be those who read the word with a sense of hope and a sense of anticipation of what you will do in the future. Father, we bless you and we pray that your word will equip us this morning. It will strengthen us, Lord, and it will help us to realign ourselves with you and to run the race and to finish strong. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. It's been a long time since I last stood here to preach the Word of God. And uh, I have to say, I've kind of sometimes enjoyed that. Just seeing other people stand here and bring the words. We've been blessed with many gifts and how people can just come and bring the Word of God. And I believe God is doing that more and more. I believe in the coming weeks and days and months, we'll begin to see more people bring the Word of God. The gifts have been multiplied and many others able to do this. But also, it's been a, a time of parenting for me, as you know. <laughs> well, I'm learning how to parent. It's not working. It's not, it's not quite there yet, Harold. I'll be coming for lessons at some point or calling you in the middle of the night. As I am awake during the night, well, you all fall asleep. But it says that we shall not all fall asleep and we shall be awake. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and uh, it's been such a joy for us, Emily and I. You know, with little Dylan, just really learning. But also it gave me the opportunity to really prepare myself and to prepare us as we welcome the nations and people from different parts of the world, as we celebrate as the nations together. And some of you are so, you know, completely new light. When you were wearing your traditional dress, I thought, wow, look at you. You look great. And it was just amazing. What an incredible time we had. And I believe we'll be a church that's like that. A church that celebrates what God is doing, but a church that's willing to be shaped by the purposes of God and what God is doing and where God is taking us. I believe God is not finished with us. I believe he has so much in store for us. Even as we heard this morning about evangelism, God wants to use us to reach many people. Let's believe that. Let's take some of this truth with us home and really believe that God wants to do this. As we look at this passage now, I just want to really challenge you right towards the end, if I have not given you a homework, raise up your hand and said, you have not given us homework, because I'm hoping that the word of God will be a lasting word that will impact our hearts. I realize when I stand here, everyone around the corner is having to go like that. Maybe I should stand right here and speak from him. But anyway, two weeks ago, Ali Scott preached about the resurrection of Christ, about the gospel. Uh, a few weeks prior, as we were following this series, Harold preached about what the gospel is. And Ali was building upon what Harold has said. And I'm building now 
upon what Ali has already been saying. We find in this passage, in 1 Corinthians 15, that the believers have been guided by Paul about what is to come and what is going to happen, about how they are, ought to conduct themselves, about how they should see the world, about how to use spiritual gifts. Paul has been building this all along. But then he comes to a passage, which is in chapter 15, where he begins to talk about the future, but also the present. And as he talks about this, he begins to show us that everything rests in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is through the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that everything else is possible. He says, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, all these things I've been talking about, everything I've been writing about makes no sense. Don't listen to everything that I've been saying to you. Don't listen to me when I try to help you to really live a life of righteousness and truth and faith. Because if Christ has not been raised from the dead, I believe I've been misled. But if he has been raised from the dead, then your faith is not futile. Then you're not hoping in something that will perish. But you're hoping and your hope is in something that is so true. But then he realizes that as he begins to talk about resurrection, the people that he's speaking to might not believe because they might not know about resurrection. Paul begins to realize that he's speaking a different language to this community of the Spirit. Because in Corinth, you had believers from a Jewish context and you have believers from a, a Gentile context. And it was believed around that time. Even archaeologists later were beginning to dig, you know, dug out some of the, the graves of those who died, Roman soldiers in particular. And they started to see that around that time, many pagan traditions did not believe in the afterlife. They did not believe that people can die. And be raised from the dead into new life. Paul is realizing that as he begins to talk about resurrection, especially the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this is hard for them to understand because in their minds, although they are believers, it is hard for them to grasp the concept of resurrection because they've been told in their pagan tradition that there is no such a thing as resurrection. That's why he's arguing. That do realize that if Christ has not been raised, then nothing that I'm talking to you about makes sense. But now he picks up something completely different, which is the resurrection of our bodies. In Roman times, around the time as Paul was writing this, the pagan belief was that people do not rise. People, when they die, they just die. And the end of everything is death. And now Paul is coming with something different. Something that cuts across all the traditions and beliefs and philosophies. And what comes, cuts across everything is the resurrection of our bodies. But the first fruit of that is the resurrection of Christ. And Paul is saying, hey, the dead will be raised. The Romans have, used to have an inscription 
on their tombstone, every soldier who dies at war, they will write and put uh, and inscribe on, on their tombstone these letters. Sometimes they were letters, and sometimes they were words. And the letters are NFFNSNC. And that stands for, in Latin, non fui, fui, non sum, non curo. Don't worry. Can someone translate that? <laughs> Every Roman will have this inscription on their tomb. And this inscription meant this. I was not. I was. I am not. I don't care. Non fui, fui, non sum, non cura. I was not. I was. I am not. I don't care. Let me help you understand that. I was not. Before I was born, Jeremiah says, God knew me. He formed me. He made me my mother's womb. I was fearfully and wonderfully made. No, the pagan says, no, no, no. That didn't exist. It was a time where you were nothing. But God seems to say he knew us before the foundation of the, uh, of the world. He knew us. We were formed way back. But the pagans say, no, nothing existed before that. And then they say, I was, which means I was born. Life started now. I'm dead. I am not. Which means I don't exist anymore. Existence has ceased for me because I'm no longer in my body. And then, the last bit, I really don't care. But the gospel is different news. The gospel says he knew about you and he formed you fearfully, wonderfully. He created you. And now, when you die, as we will hear later, is not just the end of it. And the future is greater and brighter as we go forward. In Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel begins to see something he'd never seen before. In Ezekiel 37, he is led, Ezekiel is led, he's in exile, he's led into this valley. And the valley is a valley full of bones, dry bones. And he sees very, very dry bones. And God speaks to him through the word of God comes and says, son of man, prophesy, speak to these bones, say this to the bones, leave, and live, sorry, and he speaks to the bones, says, come to life. And as he's speaking, and as he's been led by the word of God, he hears a rattling. He sees bodies being formed. Something that was dead, that had no life at all, is beginning to make movement. Something is about to happen now. He's still in his flesh and in the prophetic realm, surprised of what's happening. Because he'd not known anything about resurrection before. And he sees prophetically now a vast army rising. And the spirit coming upon this army and mobilizing. It says, there stood before me a vast army. People who were dead, who have now come to life. 
little did Ezekiel know because he, when he was speaking, he thought it was just how God was going to restore Israel and the people of God back into their land and his spirit was going to come and he was going to establish them as the people of God. But little did he realize that not only was he speaking prophetically to the people of God, but he was speaking prophetically, prophetically into the future. Ezekiel was beginning to see into the future what was going to happen. That one day, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, something was going to happen. After Jesus was raised from the dead, not only was he raised from the dead, the Bible says in Romans 6 that when he died, we died with him. When he was buried, we were buried with him. When he was raised from the dead, we were raised from the dead with him into new life. And it makes, it goes further to say, we are a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. But let me ask you, do you ever remember yourself dying? No, not physically. Let me tell you why. Because Rome, uh, Ephesians 2 tells us very clearly that there was a time when we were dead in our transgressions and sins in which we used to live. Following the prince of this world, the spirit who is at work in the sons of disobedience. There was a time where even though we were not physically dead, to God we were dead. We did not exist at all. But now, through Christ, we were raised from the dead. The resurrection that has happened, that has brought life, means we are now alive in God. But that is not a physical resurrection. That is a spiritual resurrection where believers are those who were dead. But believers are now alive. We are seated in Christ in the heavenly places. We are no longer dead, but we are alive. A resurrection has happened. But how has that happened? It was a spiritual resurrection when the Spirit was breathed, not on the dry bones, but on us as a people, that we came to life again, and we are now a new creation, the people of God. But the question is, is this what Paul is talking about? No. Paul is taking this further. He wants to say to you, City Hill, as he's saying to, to the Corinthians, although you now are alive and you are not dead, you've been raised from the dead, you've been raised into this new life, this is not the end. Something else is going to happen. And something that's going to happen in the future. And it is not just a spiritual resurrection. It's going to be another physical resurrection. That one day, believers will be raised into new life. And with this, I just want to look at three things with you. That Paul seems to be referring to here. The first one is resurrection redefines death. The second one is when I say resurrection, I'm talking about bodily resurrection, redefines death. Resurrection body is a transformed body. And thirdly, resurrection means hope and victory for God's people. Resurrection redefines death. We are alive in God. 
right now. But we will be alive in God with him in the future in a different way. Death for a very long time was this merciless, fearless monster that we could not defeat somehow because death will sweep across a nation, will sweep across a city, and it felt like death was not accountable to anyone or anything. There was a time where death was the most feared enemy of all because death is the one enemy that is coming for every single person on the face of the earth. You can be as powerful as anything. You can have all the riches of this world. There's one enemy that we've not been able to defeat. And that enemy is death. There's going to come a time in my life, in your life, where this enemy stands before me and says, I have arrived and it's my time. The interesting thing is he's been doing this, sweeping across towns, villages, homes, people's lives and knocks on the door and it really knocks us down. But here's the good news. Jesus Christ, when we could not defeat death, when death was a monster in this world that was feared by all, Jesus Christ came and he encountered death. And when he encountered death, he defied death by going through death and coming through out the other side. And he stood on that side, having defeated death as he was raised into new life. So Jesus stands this side and says, I have victory over death. Death is no longer the monster that nobody else can defeat. I have defeated death. But not only does he do that, Jesus says, because I've defeated death as the first fruit from among the dead, you are going to defeat death. And you're going to come through to the other side. Death not only was defeated by Jesus. Death was redefined by Jesus Christ. That death is not a monster that takes you away and you don't exist and you vanish from the face of the earth. But death is a way that God will use to take us from this body into the new body. Death is now serving God to bring us into that life. Death is not something that we're just saying is so horrible. Yes, of course it is. But let me say this. It's a toothless lion that's roaring there. It still bites. Still bites. But let me tell you this. We do come through to the other side. Because Jesus... Is saying the only way for those of us who are in Christ that we can be with him is that the seed looks like it's dying. It goes down to the ground and looks like nothing is happening. And we can think that death has overcome. But hey, it comes up again into new life because Jesus has defeated death and he's using death as a way now to transition from one to the other. Many years ago, my mother, my father passed away. It was in May 2004. And he was 
quite hard for me and my family. And even harder because he was not a believer. And we did not want to make up a theology that suggests otherwise. We believe in the sovereignty of God, but I didn't want to make it up. So he passed away. A month later, my mother passed away. But here's the difference. My father was not a believer in God. And I tell you what, it really shook us as a family. When my mother died, we were still dealing with the trauma of my father. And when she died, I remember something that comes to my mind again and again. That even though we were sad, it was a big loss and pain in our hearts. I remember when we stood there and the pastor was speaking and people came forward to speak of the lives that had been changed by my mother. And not only lives that were changed, people who were saved under her ministry. And I'm one of those people. And she drove salvation into you. She was like one of those people. But hey, and I remember vividly people weeping, crying. But as we went from the, the church to the graveyard, the church began to dance and sing. I've never seen so many people other than celebrity funerals at the funeral before. There were so many, and there were tears running down, but there were also celebration as people were celebrating her life and celebrating where she'd gone. And in my mind, as a young believer, I was trying to work out what was happening. I found myself with tears, but also rejoicing as I see what's going on. Do you know what? These people and myself were mourning the loss of my mother, but we were also rejoicing that death was not the end of her, but she was going to be with Christ Jesus. That God had used this somehow. He said, death, you submit to me. To me, I've, I, I beat you, and now you are under my authority. And now, as the body goes down, it goes to the ground. Hey, it comes up again. And I know that my mother is with the Lord. And for that, I rejoice. And that needs to be an attitude of believers for those who, are, who die in Christ. And that is, they go from this life. But, hey, there's another dimension altogether that we don't fully grasp. We see signposts, but we don't know quite what it fully looks like in the end. But we know they are with Christ, and for that we rejoice. So two things for people when they die in the Lord is that we mourn the loss of those that we love. And, and sometimes I know people say, why are you crying? You shouldn't be crying. Hey, we're not going to see this person again. We're not going to see them. And if we are a church that is a family, we mourn. Because we've lost a member of our family. This is so painful for us. However, there should be a rejoicing. Because what we are rejoicing in is that, hey, she or he is with Christ. It's worth us rejoicing that. That, hey, he is with Christ. Paul in Philippians 1 says, For me to live 
is Christ. And to die is gain. Why? Because death is no longer this monster that cannot be defeated. Jesus Christ has defeated death. And it's just a transition from one realm to another. We will be with Christ. Death has been redefined because Christ has risen and Christ has triumphed. Number two, the resurrection body is a transformed body. What do I mean by that? Paul talks about these two realities. He says, firstly, he uses different metaphors. The first one that he, he talks about, he talks about this. He says, your flesh is not the same as an animal flesh. And he talks about, he says, animals do not have the same flesh as fish. And fish, birds, everything is different. And then he says, the moon has its own splendor. The sun has its own splendor. The stars are different. They have their own splendor. So will it be with us. The body that we have right now, which is the earthly body, will be so different from the heavenly body. That right now, we have this body. In the future, we'll have a, a different body. And sometimes people have said, we will have a physical body. We have a physical body now. But in the future, when the Bible says spiritual body, they say, oh, no, 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 no. We're going to have a non-physicality in the future. That's not what Paul is saying here. Paul is not talking about, hey, we have a body like this, but in the future there will be nobody. There will be lots of souls roaming around. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about, he's talking about the earthly man, which means the corruptible body like we have right now, which is susceptible to certain things like sin and others. But he says the body we will have in the future will be different from the body that we have now. So just to help you, I'll put this, if you can look at the screen. Right now, before we are transformed physically in this corruptible body, or in this corruptible body, we look like this. But the heavenly body will be an incorruptible body. We have right now a perishable body. But in the future, we will have an imperishable body. This body was sown into dishonor, but will be raised in honor and in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. A natural body in the future, a spiritual body, which means... A body that is not susceptible to sin and corruption, but that, is, that belongs to the, the heavenlies. This body is similar to the body of our, the first man, Adam. The body from the dust. But God, through Jesus Christ, is going to give us a new body, which is a body like Jesus Christ when he was raised from the dead. We bear the image of this earth, but we will bear the image of heaven. We live in this mortal body, but we will live in this immortal body. There's a transformation that is going to happen. And this is not just us dying and becoming less people. It's us dying and becoming more of what we're supposed to be. 
It's interesting how, firstly, the cosmetic industry, how it functions with our bodies, isn't it? How many of you have visited that this morning? <laughs> have we all, in different measures? I'm not. <laughs> but let me say this. 445 billion has been spent. That industry is worth 445 billion. People trying to beautify, make ourselves look nice. Botox. Has anyone ever heard of Botox? <laughs> Facelift. Have we heard of that? It's really cool. Hands up for the facelifts. No. <laughs> I'd rather know that's who you truly are. <laughs> but why is that the case? Let me tell you why. Because so... It feels like so much deep in us. There is this longing and desire for something that doesn't seem to be fading all the time. That doesn't seem to be dying all the time. I'm not, by the way, I'm not condoning that industry. Because we plow so much in there. There's something much better that lies ahead for us. But, but I think deep in the human heart, we know something. God has put something there that knows very well that there's something that is much more glorious and beautiful in the future. The superhero industry is also a multi-billion dollar industry. Why? Because we love to see people do the sort of things that we in our bodies now that are, have some limitations can't do or can do. We love to see that. And say, look at Spider-Man. He's able to just go up. Hey, your future body is not a Spider-Man body. That's a terrible theology. But what I'm trying to say to you is this. There seems to be a longing in us for our bodies to do certain things that we know that our bodies can't do now. But hey, the future is not a superhero future. But it's a future where our bodies will be liberated will be transformed, will be so different to do the things that we were limited to do here. That's why Jesus, when he rose from the dead in his new resurrection body, he seems to appear before people and he walks with people for a while and they talk about him. Sounds like there will be no gossiping in the new heavens and the new earth because you talk about me and I'm here. But he... he they talk on the way to Emmaus. They talk about Jesus. And he's right here. They don't recognize him. Sometimes he appears and the door is closed. He just seems to appear. Marvel have not discovered that, you know, <laughs> hero yet. But he just seems to appear and close doors. He appears. Why? Because his body was able to do certain things that our physical body is not able to do right now. Which means it's a body... That is like our body because it's physical, but it's very different in that it's incorruptible, it's immortal, it's imperishable. It's a great, glorious body. And Jesus Christ was the first fruit from among the dead with a glorious, beautiful body. And one day we will have 
glorious bodies in the new creation. <laughs> Lastly, resurrection speaks of hope and victory. The Bible says, Paul says, For I consider our present suffering with nothing compared to what is about to, to be revealed. Which means, brothers and sisters, that you will become a Christian and you will pray and God will seem to be answering prayers, but sometimes it feels as though God is silent even though he's not. And you seem to be experiencing suffering you seem to be struggling sometimes. There's sickness and there are a few other things that are bothering you in this life. And you're suffering. But the Bible says, do not think this is the end. Because our present suffering right now, what we are going through right now, in this world that seems to be decaying, are worth nothing compared to the future. There is a future hope that is coming. And that future hope is in Christ Jesus. And the question is, do we as believers have hope? Because what is going to help us to go forward and move into the future is the hope that we carry in us. And that hope will sustain us till the end. But Paul in Romans 8 does not just end there. He talks about hope and this is what he says. He says, for the creation... Waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Then later he says, for in this hope, hope of the future, we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope what we, for what we do not have yet, we wait for it patiently. Let me ask you, are we waiting patiently or are we giving up when suffering comes or are we losing heart or are we losing focus as we were reminded earlier by Nikki that we look down, we look at our feet and forget who, to, who is the author of our hope, of our faith that we need to look to. City Hill, we do experience a lot of buffeting, disappointments. As we heard earlier, stress, depression, and other things. But if our hope is for the things we can see, then we will lose heart. We will grow weary. And we will be disillusioned. And we will fail to walk in righteousness, to run in our lane, and to make it right through till the end. But because God has conquered... We know that death has no sting anymore. That death has no victory anymore. Christ has all the victory. Which means we have hope in the victory of Jesus Christ. We have hope in the finished work of Jesus Christ that he has done it and he has completed it. So what do we do? Paul ends by saying, so now, brothers, for now and for the future, stand firm. Do not be moved. Be ruthless. Be ruthless towards sin. 
confront sin. Stand firm. Give yourself to the work of the Lord. Because you know in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. As you wait for the future, don't give up. Stand firm. Let me ask you a question. What has been moving you lately? What are some of the things that you felt you thought you were standing, but you feel like your knees are being shaken by, and you feel you can't stand, and you're feeling a bit shipwrecked by your circumstances? I have news for you. When you stand, not when, or maybe not if, but when you stand, and you are immovable, and you stand in Christ alone, you choose him alone, what you are doing will not be in vain in the future. Everything that you do now to stand, to not give in to the lies of the enemy, will not be in vain. Whether it's suffering, hopelessness, sickness, joblessness, the pleasures of this world, sin, and others, and you're beginning to feel like you're about to lose hope. Let me say this. Let's be tenacious. Let's hold on to Christ. Let's fix our eyes on him. Because whether is suffering, if we look to Christ and we stand firm in the future, that is going to look glorious. But we don't know quite what it looks like, but it's going to be probably more glorious than you think right now in your mind. For some of you here, you came here very early in the morning, six o'clock or so, I don't know, and you were serving from that time on. Let me just remind you, everything you are doing has not been in vain. Some of you have been serving the church for many years, and you think, what am I, nobody has said thank you to me. Let me tell you this, what you are doing now, we might not have said thank you or recognize that the bit that you are doing is not in vain. Some of you, you've been praying for the church and been praying for the work of God for a long time. And you've not seen any, you've not seen any success yet. But you prayed and faithful, commit yourself. What you are doing is not in vain. Some of you, you might be selling your precious treasures and give money to the poor or to the work of God or to the nations. Let me say this. Nobody maybe knows how much you've given. And you're thinking, I've given a lot. <laughs> Obviously, it's not a lot in relation to what Christ has given. But hey, everything we do now, friends, is not just for now. It's for the future. Nothing of what we do today is in vain. One day, we'll get a picture of everything, the hard work, the effort, and everything that, we, that even nobody notices and recognizes is not going to be in vain. Here's your homework. A while back in my ministry, someone was ministering at a, a conference and spoke to me in a most powerful way. It was a very practical thing. And the person said, can you all in this building take a piece of paper and write what you would like people to put on your tombstone. 
I was fearful of death, of course, and I thought, no way, yeah, that's scary. And, uh, and he actually, I'm not going to do this, he gave a paper that looked like a tombstone. I'm not going to give you a tombstone paper. And he said to everyone, write on your tombstone. Write what are the things that you want to be known for, that you want people to look at and read about you. And I remember doing that. As I was doing that exercise, it shaped my life entirely because that gave me, I was able to sit and write the vision of my life. And what I want to ask you is that, what is your epitaph? I think that's the right word in English. What is the message that you, are, you will be known for? What is the legacy that you are living in Christ? Paul says, I'm making my ambition to preach Christ where Christ is not known. This man made it his ambition to preach Christ where Christ is not known. What an incredible epitaph. The question is, is your life a life of purpose or are you coming and going? Stand firm and let your life count right now. Not just for the future. We are not just here, just waiting for the future. As you go home today, I realize in my big study Bible, I have my epitaph. I look at it sometimes and say, am I running my lane, in my lane here? Am I doing what God has called me to do? Am I, what I'm convinced is the, the vision for my life. As you go home, husband and wife, why don't you sit down and say, what is our vision as a family and as a couple? And write it down and put it in your Bible and remind yourself all the time. This is my lane. This is what I live for. Because one day, like I told you about my mother, I remember those moments. I remember moments where she shared her faith and, and, and I became a believer. It's not about just the future. It's about the now. Lastly, what is going to happen in the future? Pain will go away. Suffering will go away. Body pains that we experience now, will one day go. Debt will go away. Sorrow will go away. Ugliness will go away. When I say ugliness, I'm not talking about whether you think you're ugly or not. The world, because of sin, ugliness. <laughs> you look around, it says, this is not supposed to be, it looks ugly. Hey, that will all go away. Impurity will go away. Loneliness will go away. Rejection will go away. One day, in the new heavens and the new earth, we will be with Christ in the new creation. The old world will pass away and the new world will begin. We will be a new people of God in this incorruptible body who will be with Christ forever. What's happening today? Stand firm. And look forward. Be immovable. Don't let the world shake you. Don't let the world set your agenda. But have a vision for your life that is rooted in God alone. And look forward with great to the hope that will be revealed when Christ comes again. And we will see him. Those who are still alive will be changed. And those who are dead will be raised. And it will be a glorious, a glorious future in Jesus Christ. Let's all stand as we worship.
Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church. Thank you.